you have a Bible, please turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Um, book of Genesis, chapter 1. While our sermon, my sermon this morning, isn't necessarily um, on motherhood, uh, it's on womanhood, um, biblical womanhood, I, I think it's important for us to start there. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, let's, start, let's go to verses 26 through 28, and we'll read this together. Uh, out of the out of scripture out of the scriptures, and uh, so Genesis chapter one, um, as I said, verses twenty six through twenty eight. Uh, we have a few more comments, uh, a few couple other uh, expanded out on this passage, but uh, uh, this is going to be the bulk of our passage that we spend time on this morning. Um, Genesis chapter one, verses twenty six through twenty eight. And if you're physically able to do so, I am going to ask you one more time to stand with me. As we honor the reading of God's holy and written word, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he, uh, created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is your word. May you now add your blessing upon your reading of your word. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to love your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. There seems to be no end to the confusion over gender and even anger over gender-based roles. Uh, historical teachings of the, of the ch Christian church have been rejected. Uh, we have all sorts of current trends and current events that are going on, and, and I think it's important for us, in order for us to discover biblical womanhood and what the Bible has to say about being a biblical woman, a woman of faith, a woman of God, that's important for us to start in the very beginning. After all, I mean, we, we have a, a culture now where um, <clears throat> girls uh, who are uh, pretending to be boys can be homecoming kings, and men, boys pretending to be girls, can be voted homecoming queen. We have news stories about how men can become pregnant. We have teaching tools uh, used among some pediatricians called the gender bread person. We have, and I have links for all of these, should you question any of these. We have a man who wins women's swimming races at this time, right? And we're told to celebrate these things, and we're told, oh, we should rejoice in this fact. Well, there seems to be confusion. There seems to be great confusion, and I would say confusion in great numbers of ways. Uh, not just, not just in, the, in the idea, in the framework of, of, of women, but also in men, husbands, fail to often exhibit humble, loving leadership in our families. Wives fail to exhibit willing, intelligent submission to their husbands. Motherhood and homemaking are often seen as second-class responsibilities. Parents fail to be intentional, encouraging, encouraging biblical masculinity in their sons and biblical femininity in their daughters. So in other words, we have sons who now ask, Daddy, what is a, what is a boy? And dads that are no longer able to tell them, what is a man and women who are no longer able to tell their daughters what a woman is? There's much confusion in the church because church, the church refuses all too often to accept biblical teaching on the roles of men and women. 
subjectivity and our experiences have set aside biblical teaching for theory. Feminist ideology influences church theology and practice. The church, by and large today, as a whole, is crouching more and more toward the acceptance of homosexuality. Secular, secular homosexual agenda influences even church theology and practice. Confusion exists regarding what makes a man a man and a woman a woman. And we have done this all in the name of progress, and we have done this all in the hopes of disregarding and setting aside the biblical doctrine of Almighty God. Some evangelical leaders and churches now refer to God as mother, and I wish I may, was making this up. Again, I have, I have links for all of these things. Some evangelical leaders and churches teach that Adam was both male and female before the fall, and Eve vice versa. Radical secular feminism has encroached upon the church. Biblical feminism is, is openly helpful. Let me say that. Biblical feminism is good. Biblical feminism is right. Biblical feminism is good. But it must be defined according to Scripture. And certainly, unbiblical abuses of women throughout the history uh, of, 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 of mankind have played a part in, in, in wicked things having happened and should be biblically opposed the goals, though, of secular feminism isn't that of biblical feminism. Secular feminism is wicked to its core, and we can see this in its own promotion of things such as the porn industry, the abortion industry, and now the trans industry. Women have been abused through all of these movements, all in the name of, quote-unquote, women's rights. The trans movement is nothing more than a way for men to further abuse women by downplaying their worth and value. Women have been sold the lie of porn and abortion in the name of freedom and expression. And while I don't think that any of us here would by and large disagree with me, it is important for us to know and understand, as I have seen men of faith and women of faith as they grow older and their own sons and daughters give in to these things, that they radically transform their views and say, well, you know what we used to believe, we no longer believe that, because after all, I can't believe that, because to believe that would now to be condemned my son and my daughter to hell, and nobody wants anybody going to hell. And as a result, there is no help to the boy or the girl that is asking, what does it mean to be a man? Or what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean for me to be a man of God or for me to be a woman of God? And the fundamental issue of gender, it's funny to me because all these people are out here screaming and crying. Our culture has lost its mind and they're out here screaming, it's a whatever it decides to be when it wants to grow up. No, absolutely not. It's a boy. It's a girl. And here's the reality of gender. Gender affirms the reality of humanity's creation. So that when we read here in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Jesus himself will, 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 will teach on this issue in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, when he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. God is glorified, my brothers and sisters, in us men being masculine and us women who are here being feminine. God is glorified in the masculine and the feminine mandate that he himself created from the beginning. So what I want to do is I want to examine from our text this morning three truths. 
concerning biblical woman. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, 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 man, on men, um, although that will come at a later date because I do want to preach on biblical manhood because, as I said, unfortunately, even within the walls and the framework of the church, men have often abused their power and exercised their authority even over their own wives in ungodly and abusive ways. And let me say this. I, I want to start this off by simply saying this. What I'm going to present to you, it is understood, right, that I am talking about a biblically healthy marriage, right? I am talking about a husband who loves and protects and watches over his wife and a wife who is called to to smartly and intelligently submit to her husband's leadership, right? Not mindlessly, not foolishly, not abusively, right? And I would say this, I would say that any husband who would abuse his wife needs to understand two things. One, sir, you are worthy of the discipline of this church. And two, if there is physical abuse going on, you are worthy of the civil magistrate exercising his full authority to bring you to justice. So I want to make that clear from the very beginning. But with that said, let me say this. Three truths concerning biblical womanhood from our text. One, ladies, you were created to help fulfill the creation mandate. You say, now, what do you mean, pastor, the creation mandate? Never heard of that in my life. Never, never even knew that such thing existed. Well, in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it gives us the creation mandate. Listen to what it says here in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created them, man in his, man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female who created him. And God blessed them, listen to this, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is the creation mandate. This is the mandate that God has given you, ladies. This is the mandate that God has given us in general as, as human beings. And God's purpose in all of this was that you and I both would image and mirror and reflect the image of God. We would bear the image of God. We are all here this morning image bearers of Almighty God. Why is it that we oppose? Why is it that we are so often accused of being myopic or having tunnel vision on things like abortion and things like like uh, euthanasia it is because we understand that every single person is worthy of life every single person is worthy and don't give me that trash about well you know if you care so much about them why don't you take care of them listen I've adopted two kids I've been a foster dad to more than that And the church of Jesus Christ is the most generous institution that you can possibly find. It is not Islam or Buddhism or anyone else that's opening hospitals and orphanages and caring for the poor and the destitute. We are not just pro-birth. We are pro-life to the very core of our being. This is why we've partnered in the past with places like CareNet and other places to help provide moms with places that they can get help. Because God has created all human beings 
And they are created in his likeness. Whether or not they, they have any sort of a, a mental or physical disability, even in our day and age, they are created in God's image and worthy of being able to live for the glory of God. And it was in the beginning that God created us to be vice regents and representatives to creation. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, God confirms that he is the high king and the sovereign creator of all things. However, by God creating Adam and Eve, he established us to take dominion over creation and to rule over creation. And it's interesting here, as you open Genesis chapter 2, if you go on into Genesis chapter 2, you'll notice that there is great temple imagery that is employed here. What do I mean by that? Well, Adam acts as a priest in a sense in that he is called to work and to keep the, this, this place where they meet with God, this place where God comes down every day and walks with them and talks with them. They worship him, they serve him, they honor him. And it's, a, it's the same language that echoes the work of a priest in the temple. And the word put in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, look what it says here. It says, and the Lord God took man took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And then shortly thereafter, he creates, he creates Eve, he creates woman. And, and, and her role in, in, is given to her by design by God himself. So God put Adam and Eve in this garden to act as royal image bearers in this garden. Adam then was a king and a priest who serves as the mediator for God's caring and order over creation as ordained by God himself. And in the midst of all of this, it wasn't after the fall that God told them to go and have, have lots and lots of beautiful babies. It's before that. And it says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, be abundantly proactive. Ladies, you have a beautiful, beautiful uh, mentorship in this reality. You are called to be spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and relationally uh, uh, productive in your lives. We are called to fill the whole earth with image bearers and develop godly heritages in, which, uh, in each generation. And in the midst of this, not just Adam, but Adam and Eve were both told to, to bring chaos or to, bring, uh, to subdue that which was once chaotic and disorderly in order to promote order and goodness. They are to bring creation into orderly productivity. Creation was to be subject to godly authority structures. They were to be responsible for making creation useful and beautiful and orderly. They were to care for one another and creation for God's glory rather than exploiting it for their own personal gain. And yes, God does say to rule, and that includes both men and women. We are to rule over creation and exercise dominion in different ways. So for, for ladies, let me say it like this. When it says for you to rule or, or to literally exercise dominion or authority or influence over, then that means simply this for you, particularly those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have repented and believed the gospel of Jesus. Let me say it like this. You are to delight in the Lord Jesus. You are to delight in his gospel. You are to delight in his word in order to fight off sinful dispositions toward passiveness and timidness and rule your own heart and life well. 
You're not called. Yes, you are called to submit to your husband. Yes, you are called to hear what your husbands have to say if you have a husband. But even if whether you do or whether you don't, you don't find your identity in your husband. You find your identity in Christ. You find your identity in delighting in what Christ has made you to do. Whether that's homemaking or working in whatever field of study that, that God has placed you in, whether nursing or teaching or whatever the case may be, and you are called to boldly subdue and rule in your appointed position that God has placed you, whether as wife, mother, whatever the case may be, or, or none of those things, for his glory. Wife, let me say this to you. You are to subdue and to rule over your own affections by delighting in your husband. This world, this culture is going to tell you, oh my goodness, what a horrible thing to do. But God's word says that husbands are to delight in their wives and wives to delight in their husbands if you have them. And you are called then to to delight in making your husbands and those around you better through encouragement Extending hospitality in whatever forms it is inside or outside of the home and the church. And mothers in the day and the age in which we live, in which motherhood is directly under assault, you are called as daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords to show forth what it looks like to honor Christ in every area of your life. You are called to regularly preach the gospel to your husbands, if you have them, your fathers, your, <clears throat> the men in your life, your sons, your daughters. You are called to love them by word and by deed. And do not forget that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. All of this is said, as I said, and within the understanding that I'm speaking of the norm of a loving, safe home environment, Right? And, and, and unfortunately, we live in a world where that's not always the case, right? There, there are men who are abusive and wicked, and, and, and women that, that can be certainly abusive and wicked as well. And so we're not talking about in those, in those instances, right? We, we understand that we're talking about a, a, a loving, safe environment in which this takes place. And unfortunately, as I said, I realize that that is not always possible because of different whatever, different abuses, different realities, but still yet, even within that, you are certainly called to honor Christ in those relationships. Secondly, in verse 27, what does it say here? And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female, he created them. It's interesting. Human beings were designed uniquely for the tasks that God has established for them. It just has. Men, for instance, are called to lead, to provide, to protect, and in order to fulfill the creation mandate. Women are called to work alongside not only of this, but also in her role as being a rescuer, a helper, a companion, a cooperator, a nurturer, a caretaker. Because I'll tell you this, when any of my children fall and get hurt, they don't ask for daddy. They ain't asking for their daddy because their daddy's going to say, suck it up, you're okay, there ain't no blood, nobody's head's chopped off, you're okay, get up, you walk it off. Mama says, come here, baby, I'll, let, me, let me take care of you, let's wash it off, let's put a Band-Aid on it, blah, 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 right? right? That's mom's, because God created you with that role. 
He created you in that role to be a helper and a rescuer, a companion, a cooperator, and a coordinator of your home and of your life, a nurturer and a caretaker. Women are biological. Listen, women are biological. And I don't think I need to tell any of you here this because I think you know this. But in just in case you need to hear this, let me just re- reiterate this. You women are biologically created to bring forth life. I'm not, and no man is, no matter how many operations he has. God created women to biologically be able, if they're physically able to do so, right? Because I understand, like my wife and I, we struggled with infertility for seven and a half years, so I understand. But generally speaking, biologically, women are suited to bring forth life. Women are responsible, godly women are responsible to respond inappropriate measure to wise biblical leadership. And when it says, because it does say, as we, as we go on through here, as we go on into the text of Scripture, we see that God talks of, of him creating a woman in chapter 2, verse 18, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet or a helper, for him or a helper that is suitable for him. So what does it mean here when God says that a woman is called to help? Well, the word literally means to help or support, and it refers to one who assists and and serves alongside of another, right? And so she assists, the wife is called, the woman is called to assist and work alongside of the, the husband as an equal, as, a, as one who is called to, to walk together in this life. Psalm, and it's interesting because this word throughout the Old Testament is actually employed for Yahweh, for God, for the Lord. Because in Psalm 33, 20, it says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Or in Psalm 70, verse 5, but I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Or in Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. God directly applies this to you, ladies, that this is your calling. And whatever, wherever, whatever station of life you find yourself in now, this is your calling to work for the glory of God. But, unfortunately, we don't live like we did before in the garden, do we? I mean, we live in a world now that is post-fall. And because of that, this creation mandate becomes harder and there's some things we have to readily acknowledge, isn't there? You say, well, now, what do you mean by readily acknowledge? What do we need to readily acknowledge? Well, we need to readily, readily acknowledge that our relationship with God and our image, even though we still bear the image of God, are broken. Genesis 3, 8 through 10 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What is it that woman and man were doing prior to this? They were naked and they were, they were just living for the glory of God, honoring him, and they were not ashamed. But after the fall, we get clothes, right? We get clothes because... We have to protect ourselves and hide ourselves and watch over ourselves and, and defend ourselves from prying eyes and wicked thoughts and all these other things. And so we defend ourselves by putting on clothing now. But not only that, but even more so that our relationship with God is broken. 
And there is difficulty then in the exercising and the ruling of the dominion mandate. Because in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, after the fall, God says this, the Lord says this to Adam and to Eve. He says, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground for your sake in toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herbs of the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for dust. You are and to dust. You shall return. And I would even say this. He goes on in verse, or if you didn't, or actually, I think I started afterwards in verse 16 prior to that. And he says, and to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And so there will be severity. Not only, not only will man have to work harder, men will have to work harder to produce but women will bear through severe child uh, through severe pain child children but not only that because there's a second part to this to this issue and that is this in verse 16 your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you now that's a that's a very that's a very nice translation okay um, the the idea if we were to literally and and, and uh, some other translations do translate it more along this line, but the, the translation there could literally be rendered, and your desire would be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. That would be a very appropriate translation in this passage. Your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. And in that, then our relationships are severed and broken because all of a sudden, I now have my rights, you have your rights, everybody's insisting on their own rights, and everybody's miserable. But in doing this, we are called to carry out God's purpose and plan efficiently through our complementary roles in life and in marriage. And so marriage provides a safe partnership, or at least it should. Listen, it should provide a safe partnership with unity and purpose in completing the creation mandate. Right? Because there are biological differences and there are complementary roles that are allowed for the mission to be fulfilled. Both men and women worshipped and we worshipped and worked together full time prior to the fall of man. Right? Work wasn't a part of the fall. It wasn't. Because in Genesis 2, 15 and 17, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God in 18 and 24, uh, Genesis 2, eight, uh, verse 18 and then verse 24, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, right, of equal value, of equal worth to him. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so marriage, at least biblically, biblical marriage provides us with a place for us to receive biblical love, acceptance, and security. Now, I don't say this to either be boastful or prideful in any way, but I say this um, to, to be very clear, that men, um, I am not a perfect man, but I can guarantee you one thing. My wife has never been scared of me. Never. She has never feared me. 
for her safety. She has never feared for her security, even in the roughest of times when we didn't always see eye to eye or get along. You and I are called to honor the image of God in our wives so that our daughters may see what a woman should be and what a woman, how a woman should be valued. If you have a daughter. In Genesis 2.25, it says, And they were naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So marriage allows for, for us to biblically align and coordinate the completion of this crea- creation mandate under biblical authority structures. After all, Ephesians 5, 22 through 28, because we say, well, you know what, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, I mean, after all, the Bible is the Bible, so we don't necessarily need to do this, but I will do it just in case. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 28, listen to the commands that God gives. The creation mandate has not been fulfilled and will not be until the return of the Lord. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 28, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And Paul will go on to talk about this within the framework of, of the relationship between Christ's intimate relationship and his church. And we'll do this very vividly because in the very next verses, listen to what he says here. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as the Lord does the church. For you are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love your own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so marriage is intended to be a man and a woman covenanting together in marriage, honoring Christ. And let me just throw in as an aside, I don't have any place for you, mother-in-law or mama. Leave them alone. Let them figure it out. Give wisdom where it's needed, but leave them alone. And I would also say this. Marriage provides us with what it looks like to be biblically accepted and loved, and cared for. A man exercising great submission, or uh, great uh, wisdom in, in sacrificing his own wants and needs and desires for the glory of God. Our culture is so obsessed with this. I heard, I heard, I read, I literally read a news article where a man and his wife secretly confided in friends to which this person was now writing, I'm assuming based on permission to do so, names were retracted and all that, that they hated and despised their own children because, and I quote, we don't have time for ourselves like we used to. Well, let me just say this to you. Well, duh, who in the heck thought you would? 
I mean, my goodness, it's like we don't have any common sense in our brains anymore. But in all of this, God's purpose and plan is accomplished through the family as everyone is working out for God's glory. Because marriage allows us to image Christ's relationship vividly with the church in our relationship with one another. As the husband loves the wife, as the wife loves the husband, as we honor Christ. And we create then a secure and stable foundation from which new life enters into the world. Let me say this. Why has the family, the nuclear family, been under such assault for so long? Why? Because as the family goes, so goes a culture. And I think we clearly see that. As, a, as, a, as an adoptive father, as a, as a, as a biological dad, as an as adopted dad, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, uh, a foster care dad, let me just say this. It is astounding to me at the horrors of what children go through and the wickedness of what they're, what, they're, what they're exposed to. The family has been under attack for a long, long time, replaced instead of a place of safety and direction and provision and replicating God's purpose for the family and the man and the woman in life. Unfortunately, it has become greatly abused and greatly harmed because of our own desires and wickedness. And in all of this, this is, and, and this is what amazes me in all of this, mom and dad, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, listen to what it says here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Another reason why the family is under such direct attack is because the family is the first step of discipleship. That's it. It's the first place where we disciple our children and teach them. We teach them right from wrong. We teach them biblical principles, and and we call them to treasure the gospel. We call them to treasure the gospel through our own selves, through our own lives, through our own ministries, through our own actions and our own activities, and we do so through word and through deed. We call upon our children to create the next generation who love Christ, who treasure Christ, who love the local church, who treasure the local church ministry to the local to the family, that Christ can be exalted and glorified and the nations will be evangelized. I am not, I don't think, putting this any, any, less, any less important than I should when I say that <clears throat> the nuclear family, the family, the mom, dad, and kids, right? Right, mom, dad, and kids, or, or mom and dad, just, just honoring to Christ. You know, kids have grown up, and they now have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and on and on it goes. Them vividly looking like Christ, showing what it looks like to follow Christ, is of imperative importance, of great importance. It's an imperative for us. And so as family, we are called, dads, moms, we're called to worship and work. We're called to educate one another in the mission of God, in the word of God. And let me, let me be honest with you. I don't ask my kids what they want to eat, 
because I know what they would eat. Chocolate and candy and cake. So I don't ask my kids if they want to go to church. I don't ask my kids if they want to have worship service on, on, on a weekly night. They go into worship, whether they like it or not. They can rebel and they can do their own thing later. But as long as they live in my house, as my daddy would say, you live by my rules. And my rules is we honor God in our family. We honor God in our house. We honor God in our home. And what does that look like? It looks like me leading, us leading, men leading, and women leading their families to worship King Jesus. And the good news is that if you haven't done that up until this point, there's good news for you for later on. You can do it now. And together in the family unit, each member is called to work together for a unified common vision and goal under biblical authority and proper leadership that Christ would be glorified, that again, the nations would be transformed. And as I said, and I don't think I need to repeat this, but I will. You know, again, I am talking about this within the framework of a healthy biblical family unit, right? A healthy biblical family unit. Dad, mom, working side by side together for the glory of God, not devaluing one another. It always drives me crazy. I have counseled couples. I have counseled couples where men come into my, to my office and he's like, well, she don't do nothing. She sits at home all day long. She only has to put up with the kids so many hours a day. And the question I always ask him is, who washes your clothes? Who does your dishes? Who cooks your meals? Who washes your floors? Who makes it so that you, when you come home, Bubba, you have a nice place? Right. I've lived in a culture, and I grew up in a culture where, where, where motherhood was, was not devalued in, in the sense of they would come right out and, and say it. But women were seen in a lesser value, right? And brothers and sisters, let me, let me say this. We're not called to that kind of foolishness, but we're neither called to radical secular feminism either that says you can do the same thing as a man can biologically i don't know of a man that can have a baby i don't know anyone that would want to either and i would say this ladies god has called you and established you and equipped you for your own personal position and role in the home to glorify god and enjoy him whether, that is in, whether that's in the home or outside the home and what you do and how you work, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a career mom, whatever it is, God has called you to, to focus on and raise a family for, your, for, for God's glory and for his honor. And so I pray that we would do that this morning, that we would value the roles in which God has created us for, that God, that God would be glorified in our homes and in our lives. Because most of, most of what I have told you is very controversial today. Most of what I have said to you today is controversial. Not to us, not to probably most of us. But in our, in our world, in our culture, if, if I went out into the public square and started preaching this, I, I'm pretty sure I, I would get assaulted. Right? This is how crazy our culture has become. But brothers and sisters, we need to honor Christ. doesn't mean we can't have strong women. Right? Three of the strongest women I know. My mother, my mother-in-law, my wife. But it means that in all things, God is glorified in your strength and in your weakness, as well as in our strength and in our weakness as, as men. And let me just close by saying this. Um, if 
you do not have a safe marriage, you know where I am. And I will be happy, I will be happy to do what your husband will not do. And that is to protect you and to defend you and to bring your husband before the church on charges. I will be happy to do that and to call the civil magistrate and have him deal with it. Brothers and sisters, we are called to protect one another and to guard one another. Let us do that for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, may you help. May you help us to honor you. May you help us to glorify you. May you help us to, to honor you in all that we do and say. God, I pray as we have laid before us the idea and the roles of what it looks like to be a biblical woman, whether mother or not, whether wife or not, whatever the case, that, that we would with all with all just grace and fire embrace what you have created us to be and to do. Let us honor Christ. Let us serve Christ. Let us glorify the Lord in all that we do and say. Father, help us. We pray in Jesus' name.